Last week, we began a new series called The Voice, and we've taken it after the TV show The Voice because there are voices in our lives that have a significant impact on who we become. In fact, I said last week that the voice you trust directs the path you take. And there are voices in our lives uh, of people who speak truth and help us become who we are. It's sort of those, like those judges in the show, The Voice. There's four chairs, and when they hear a voice they like, they, they slap their hand on a button, their chair turns around, and they face the singer, basically say, I want you to be part of my team. And if you could picture in your life uh, maybe four chairs, the people that, that you value, the people whose voice speaks to your life. It may be a parent, it may be a spouse, it may be a teacher, a coach, a good friend of yours. And, and through our lives, it seems like we're trying to get validation from those voices to hear someone say, I believe in you. I want you to be a success. You've got what it takes. And so we wait and wait for those voices to come back to us and the eyes to look at us with eyes of faith. But sometimes we hear voices that are negative, a voice that says, You'll never, you'll never make it. You don't have what it takes. You are a failure. And many of us have gone through our lives with those negative words, sort of like a ball and chain around our ankles, and we're dragging it through our lives, waiting for validation. It seems like our whole life is a search to be validated. I, I look back to when I was a little boy, and I used to love to tell jokes. I loved to be kind of the class clown because I found that, that when I made people laugh, uh, they affirmed me. I got their attention. And I noticed that many of us, if, if it's not humor, sometimes it can be trouble. There are kids who grow up actually trying to be troublemakers because they recognize that I get more attention from mom and dad when I'm a troublemaker than when I'm good. And so we, we go through life just searching for someone to notice. I saw a study once of the workplace, and people said it was more painful to have a boss that said nothing than a boss that criticized me. That, that being told, I don't care about you, is worse than saying I'm disappointed in you. See, we're hungry for someone just to notice, just to see me. That's why when you try out for sports or try out for band, it's such a big deal. It's such an emotional thing. Does anybody want me? Does anybody believe in me? And the agony when you don't make the cut. And we get in high school and start noticing the opposite sex. And you want to be known as someone who's likable, desirable, dateable. I remember... In high school, I was between girlfriends, and I got elected to be on the prom court my junior year. I remember that very vividly because as much as it was an honor to me to be selected by my peers, I didn't want to go because I didn't have a girlfriend. I thought, who am I going to take to the prom, this big event where you get all dressed up and you rent a tux and all this? And so I decided I need to ask the cutest girl I know. So one day after school, I walked down the hallway just... My heart was pounding because I thought, what if she says no? Unfortunately, she said yes. And, and we had a good night together. I don't remember where we ate. I don't remember uh, much about that night except for the theme song, Dust in the Wind. <laughs> you know, we go through our lives, and I think part of the reason that many of us love marriage is because you have someone in your life who says, I believe in you. I will stand by you. I see things in you nobody else sees. I see all the bad things too, but I, I, I love your dreams. I like your jokes. I think you have what it takes. And we need that affirmation in our lives because here's, here's what happens. 
When, when you don't receive those words of validation in your life, you keep searching for someone else to, to speak it, someone else to give it to you. But you need to know this today. There's only one judge in your life. There's only one chair that has to turn toward you, and that's the chair of our Heavenly Father. And when you hear his voice speak into your heart, it will free you from the burden of constantly seeking validation from other voices in your life. Last week, wrapped up the message talking about the temptation in the wilderness, how every time Satan tried to deceive Jesus and lure him into temptation, every single time, Jesus basically said, that's not what God says. That's not what is written here. And we learned uh, that, that when the enemy's lies come, we counter it with the truth of God. When, when we moved to Colorado, we inherited a, a lawn that was part of the house. It hadn't been cared for all summer, and so there were clumps of buffalo grass here and there and a lot of weeds. So I went around with bottles of Roundup, spraying all the weeds, killed the weeds, killed the butt, everything else got near it. And what I found out is you can't grow anything on that spot for a long time. So that year, was, it was kind of a waste. But the next year, I did something different. Instead of attacking the weeds, I went after the grass. I said, I'm going to grow that grass. I, I spread um, sheep and steer manure and planted grass seed and watered the, the heck out of this lawn. And pretty soon, the grass started to fill in the gaps. And, and after a while, I found that the weeds were gone. You know why? Because the grass had filled in. The best defense against weeds is a thick lawn. The best defense against the lies of the enemy is the truth. When you fill your mind, this fertile soil, with truth, you leave no room for the devil to get a foothold. I mean, you can go through your life saying, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, pull out weeds, but the best defense, the surest defense, is to be so, so locked into the truth that those lies don't have a chance to even grow within you. And so last week when we all chanted together, that's not what God says, we need to know what does God say? What does he say in his word about me and who I am and what I can do? And for the next three weeks, actually the next four weeks, we're going to cover that subject. So before we do today, before we get in the first major area of our lives, I'm going to ask you if you'd open your heart to hear God's truth and to say yes with what God says about you. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name asking you to speak to our hearts through your word. Help us to hear that voice above every other voice, the voice of our Father in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The place where Satan attacks, I think maybe, maybe the biggest area of attack in our lives is on our identity. He attacks our identity because our identity gives us security. But you need to know this. Your security is found in your identity in Christ. Your identity in Jesus is what, what gives you that security. And I have to make sure that those words in Christ are part of it because apart from Christ, we flounder, we search, we grasp. But in Christ, we're going to find out God gives us great clarity of what that identity is. Now, I'm going to take you to a story found in Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus. Matthew writes this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him 
I am well pleased. Jesus knew from the time he was little that he had a special mission from God. And his family didn't believe it, and he had to hold off on that until he was about 30 years of age. But on this day, he's ready to see the the mission unfold. He goes to see John the Baptist. He's going to be baptized. Now, Jesus hasn't sinned, but, but, but Jesus says this is because it's right in God's eyes. So John the Baptist baptizes him, and these miracles happen. Uh, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. A dove doesn't show up, but the Holy Spirit descends in kind of a visible form onto Jesus, and then the sky opens up in a sense, and this voice speaks very audibly, very clearly. This, this is my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. Now, why did God say that out loud? Why did that need to be heard by the people around? Well, maybe, maybe they need to know who this guy was. Maybe they didn't know, needed to know what God thought of him, but I also think it was for Jesus because Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus is going to face all the temptations humans face, all the struggles, all the trials humans face. And just like humans need encouragement, I believe Jesus needed the affirmation of his Father and especially in light of what was about to happen next. Because Jesus is going to go in the desert to be tempted by the evil one. You know what's amazing about this validation from the Father? It came before Jesus ever preached a sermon, before he ever healed a person, before he ever cast out a demon, before anybody was saved. And he says, with you I'm well pleased. What does that tell you about earning God's favor? That even with Jesus, God... God gave him love and favor before he ever achieved anything. See, we go through our lives trying to earn favor, trying to impress someone. Look what I did. Look at my audition. Do I get your approval? Do I get your validation? And God says, I've already approved you. I pre-approved you. I've already said yes to you before you did anything. So here's a few things that we need to know about our identity. My identity influences my decisions. It influences my decisions. Immediately, I mean, immediately after this, you can look in Matthew chapter 3 ends, chapter 4 begins. Very next thing, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And we learned last week Satan is the father of what? Father of lies. Everything he speaks is deceptive. It's truth with a twist. And he's trying to lure Jesus down a path. And it's interesting that, that this encounter with Jesus mirrors in many ways um, God's encounter with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And and Jesus sometimes is called the second Adam. And think about this. In the Garden of Eden, God God gave them everything they needed and gave them one prohibition, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus is out in the wilderness. There's no food anywhere. And yet just like Adam and Eve, he's going to be tempted with food, turn these stones into bread. And we find that in Adam and Eve's case, they listened to a voice and they gave in and they ate. And here we have Jesus who's not giving in to the voice and refusing to do what he says, and he stands victorious. Through, through Adam and Eve came death. Through Jesus comes life. And so in the very um, next story, verse 3 of Matthew 4, it says, The tempter came to him, Jesus, and said, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Not because you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. He's trying to cause doubt. 
Maybe, maybe Satan was there at the baptism and heard this voice from heaven, that this is my beloved son. Now he's saying, well, if that's true, if that's true, remember Adam and Eve? Did God really say? So if that's true, then prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Now, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. I don't know about you. I can miss a meal and I'm hungry. 40 days, bread sounds awfully good, especially if it's in his power to turn these, uh, these um, rocks into rolls, preferably cinnamon rolls. You know, that, that sounds real. I like bread. That would sound really good. Nice cinnamon warm. It's in the sun. That sounds really good. And Jesus could have said, you know what? I'm going to shut you up right now. Rocks become bread. See? But here's the truth. Satan already knows who Jesus is. Satan already knows who you are. He's trying to get you confused with who you are. He's trying to cause doubt in Jesus' mind who he is. See, I find that, that just like Jesus, shortly after we're baptized, the lies start to come from the evil one. You wake up the next morning after you've been baptized, and all of a sudden you hear the voice that says, did he really wash you of all your sins? Come on. That's not how it works. Do you really think you're born again? You have a whole new life ahead of you? Come on. Do you really think he's cut the cord to the addictions that you've had? Get real. And we start to wrestle with all this because the enemy starts, starts confusing us about what we've been told, or what happens to us, or what God has said about us because our mind is a, is a funny place and he throws these doubts in there. You know, we have a, a crisis in our culture called identi- identity theft. And there are hackers who can get a hold of your credit card numbers, your social security numbers, your address, your work history, your names of your kids, everything about you. And I don't know if you've ever had your identity stolen, but one time when my wallet was picked on a vacation trip and I finally got to a phone where I could check things out, they'd already charged four things on my credit card. And I started feeling this really creepy feeling that someone knows a lot about me Someone knows stuff about me they shouldn't know. And, uh, and we're able to shut that down. But Satan relishes identity theft. He wants to take from you who God says you are so you won't believe it. And you'll get stuck. So instead of walking in the power that is yours as a child of God or the privileges that is yours as a Christian or the calling God has placed upon you as his servant or the hope that's before you to know that things are better in the future than they were in the past, he, he takes all that from you and causes you to wallow and, and live in frustration and live in fear. See, God wants us not to live in fear. He wants us to walk in faith, faith that what he says is true because the voice you trust directs the path you take. So this is the truth you need to just um, lock into today, that my identity is determined by one thing and one thing only, God's voice. You will have doubters and critics throughout your life who you'll try to impress, who'll try to tell you who you are. You'll spend a lot of energy and time investing in your body so you look pretty or look handsome or in your job that you're accomplished or your, your, uh, your wealth or possessions. You want to be popular. You want to be known. You want to achieve something. You're, looking, you're trying to do all these things so that someone says, hey, you made it. You're somebody. You've measured up. You're noticeable. But I want you to know this, that one chair, God's chair, 
that's turned toward you, that's the voice you have to listen to. Sometimes people may agree with what God says, but there are a lot of voices that disagree, and you want to block those out and listen to uh, who God is. Make your audience the audience of one, the Lord, because it will go against what you feel. Who I am is often different than who I feel I am. Our granddaughter, Eden, will often check with her daddy when he posts a picture on Facebook that includes her. She'll say, Daddy, how many people liked it? You know, if you don't know Facebook, there's a little uh, kind of button. It's, it's a, it says like, and you just click on it. And we, we like to know people like us, especially if you're wanting feedback on, uh, on your new hairstyle, your nails, uh, uh, something that you wrote. Um, something you bought or achieved. And, and, you know, there's a part of us that says, did people like it? Did they like it? So she asked Daddy how many people liked the picture because she's, she's finding validation in, in how people respond because if we don't feel it, we, we start to doubt it's true. And so we just need to know your feelings aren't a determining factor about reality. God gave you feelings, but feelings sometimes are right on and sometimes feelings can be way off. I mean, think about it. You, you wake up in the morning, you feel like, man, I can take on the world. No, you can't. You feel that way, but, it's, but you can't. Or, man, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. No, you can't. You can't even eat a leg of a horse. You're not going to touch our horse. Hot sauce. So, you know, we feel that way. Or you feel like, you know, nobody loves me. Okay, you feel that way. Is that true? No. It's not true, but it's how you feel. And so our feelings can be very deceptive. So you don't want to base your, your view of yourself on how you feel. Now, when we open the Bible, it's pretty easy to agree with what God says about God. So when God says he's holy, we go, absolutely, God is, God is perfect, he's holy, set apart, different from everybody else. I get that. And then God turns around and says, I'm holy, and you're holy. And you go, no, I'm not holy. God says, yes, you are. No, I'm not holy, God. Yes, you are. You are set apart for me. I've cleansed you of your sin. You belong to me. See, and the reason we fight against God is because, God, you don't know me like I do. And maybe one of the ultimate insults we make toward God is to say, God, what you say about me isn't true. I mean, the audacity to tell God that what he says about me is not true, when really I should be embracing it, I should be holding close to it. God, you say that about me? I want to be that. I want to be who you say I am. So you, you, you can't base who you are and how you feel, nor can you base yourself on who you were, who you've been in the past. I'm not who I was. I'm different. How many of you have ever been to a high school reunion? Any of you go to one of those? Only a few of you? You're not missing out on much, really, because I only went to one. It's 25-year 20, anniversary. And, you know, in my head since I don't have contact with most of my high school classmates, I'm picturing kids sitting in biology class or chemistry class or the basketball team. That's the way they are. But when you, when you get together in the room, you find out, holy smokes, they've changed. <laughs> that jock who was fit and buff, he's got a big pot belly now. That cheerleader, she's not so cheery. <laughs> uh, that guy with the, with the thick head of hair, he's bald. Nothing wrong with bald, okay? Just saying, it's... He doesn't look like he used to look. I'm not who I was. Gravity and time do a lot to the body, right? But you know what? I sometimes have to stop. When I'm frustrated with my own spiritual growth, 
with what I've done with my life, I have to stop sometimes and look back and say, I thank God I'm not who I was. I thank God that I'm different today than who I've been. You know, Paul grasped that very well. The Apostle Paul um, wrote a letter to Timothy. And he says this uh, in this letter, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his servant service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, that's who I was, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm a servant now. I'm an apostle now. That's not who I was. He speaks this is awful guy, violent and persecuting believers. That's who I was, but I'm different. And if you remember the story of Paul, he was on his road to Damascus to do violence toward Christians. And, and Jesus encountered him and made him go blind until a man named Ananias came to see Paul. And Ananias baptized Paul and said, your name's no longer going to be Paul. God wants uh, Saul. Your name's not going to be Saul of Tarsus. Your name now will be Paul. And it's such a fitting picture of you're not going to be who you were. I'm going to make it very clear. You're no longer Saul. You're Paul. Now, we don't change names when we give our lives to Christ, but I've seen it in other cultures, like in Africa. You'll find someone that's way out in the bush, people with all these bizarre names, and you find someone whose name is David. And Matthew and Peter. And the reason is because when they gave their lives to Christ, they said, I wanted to make it very clear that I'm different now. I'm going to take on a new name. See, I wish we had some way to symbolize that. Well, actually, we do. When Paul was baptized, it showed us something that's so true in our lives, that there's a dividing line, a line of demarcation between the, the past and the future. That when you're buried, the past is over. And when you're raised to walk in a new way of life, the new has begun. You are not who you were. You're a new person with all kinds of new potential. But again, as soon as you do that, you'll hear the whispers of the enemy come. I love the fact that when Paul writes to one of the churches he helped found, a church in Corinth, he reminds them of where they used to be. He says, some of you were just, you were swindlers, thieves, liars, uh, idolaters, adulterers, prostitutes. I mean, you name it, you guys did it. But he says, that's who you were. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That means you were set apart. You were justified. That means you're made sinless. You're made right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So you're not who you were, and you're not who you feel you are. You're not who other people think you are. You're who God is says you are. That is the one voice you need to listen to. And therefore, when you hear his voice, believe what he says about your identity. Believe what he says about your identity. I like action movies. In this summer, there's a part five of the Jason Bourne series coming out. I'm actually looking forward to it. And in that series, this character, Jason Bourne, is discovered in the first episode, the the Bourne Identity, where he's pulled from the waters by an Italian fishing boat, and they discover that he's had a severe case of amnesia. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he's come from. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And over the course of these movies, he's searching to find out his identity. He knows this. He knows that he can speak other languages real well, and he knows that he can sure fight good too. So he, he just has a suspicion that, that something in his past tells him that he's got a dangerous lifestyle. And, he, and he's wondering why people want to kill him. 
You know, we go through our lives searching for our identity. It, it's pretty common that kids graduate from high school, go off to college or, or go off to the army or go off to get a job in search of finding themselves. But what you find out at class reunions, most of them never find themselves. Because you won't find yourself out there. You won't find yourself uh, out there in your career. You won't find yourself out there in a relationship. You won't find yourself out there at some exotic experience. You don't find your identity out there. You find your identity in here, in what God says about you. And what God says about you is truth. And so we need to listen to what God's Word says. And you know, parents, grandparents, it's so critical that you raise your kids, your grandkids to listen to what God says about them. It's so painful to watch young girls grow up thinking they need a validation of some boy or a guy feeling like he needs a validation of some coach to feel like they're somebody. I learned the, the, first, the first beautiful Christian song when I was real young. It goes like this. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Not only does it tell me so, it shows me so because Jesus went to a cross, loved me even while I was still a sinner, gave his life for me. Before I ever did anything that was good and kind and productive and worthy of his kingdom, he says, I will die for you. I love you. I want you to be part of my life. I've chosen you. I want to tell you today that, that God thinks highly of you. I want to read to you some of the statements, and they're actually in your Bible, and you can look up the scriptures, but I want to remind you of your identity, and this is true of every believer, every person who's given their life to Christ. God says, I am born again. I am his child. I'm a member of his family. I'm a citizen of heaven. I am a joint heir with Christ. I'm forgiven of all my sin. I'm loved and chosen. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a new creation. I'm holy. I'm gifted for service. I am his workmanship. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm just a foreigner, a traveler on this earth because I have another destination I'm heading to. And when you hear the lies of the enemy say to you that you're not worthy, you say, hey, that's not what my God says. My God says I am loved. When you hear the voice says, uh, you're not capable, you says, yes, I am because God has gifted and empowered me. When, when he whispers that you're all alone, you're all by yourself, say, no, because, because my God says I will never leave you or forsake you. See, you can counter the lies with the truth who God says you are. I shared with you uh, several weeks ago that my daughter, Stephanie, is not my biological daughter, that she had another father. And when we moved to Colorado, her father stopped contacting her. That was over 20 years ago. And this week, we received a phone call from a member of his family. Nobody had known his whereabouts for 20 years. But he walked into a hospital, said he wasn't feeling well, and before the day was over, he died. And so... We had to tell our daughter that your, your dad died. And it surfaced all kinds of emotions of things that she's felt over all these years and more hurt surfaced. And, you know, I, I wrote a note to her this week and just said, Honey, I said, I feel sad for you, but I feel more sad for your dad because he never got to see how that, how that amazing little girl grew up to be an incredible young woman and mother. 
And God allowed me to have the sideline seat to all of it. And I'm so glad that I got to be part of your life. But I want you to know this, that there is a Father in heaven that will never, ever fail you. And he loves you more than anything. Listen to him. And some of you need to hear that voice today. You need to know because the enemy keeps pounding you with his lies again and again. Late at night, your moments of desperation, when, you, when you're searching for that validation, you're hearing that voice pummel you again and again. And I want you to know that there is a voice coming from heaven, from the judge who's turned his chair toward you. And before you've done anything, said, I choose you. Before you got up on stage to audition, he says, hey, I want you. So today, here's what I want to do. Something, something's kind of unique. I'm going to ask all of you to stand all across here. Just stand up. If you need to be reminded of who you are in the eyes of the Lord today, I just want you to come up and, and come before the stage right in front here because I want to pray a special prayer of blessing over you today that God would seal these truths within your heart and within your mind. And so if you've struggled with any of those, if you've struggled with the affirmation of your Heavenly Father, if you've been searching in your life to hear that voice, I want you just to come up. We want to fill this front down here, and I want to say a prayer of blessing over you because I know many of you today need that. So wherever you are, back, middle of aisles, just come right down in front here. I want to say God's special blessing over you today. No, stand up. I want you to stand up because I want to be able to see your eyes, okay? Keep coming right up here. I want, to, I want to get close to so I can see your eyes, okay? And I'm going to be just a representative of our Heavenly Father, but I want you to hear his voice because nothing that I'm going to say to you is made up. It's true. It's from God's word, okay? So he loves you. He loved you before you were born. You are wonderful and beautifully formed by our Father. He's chosen you to be his. You are his son, his beloved son, his, his princess. He, you are his, his child. He loves you more than you'll ever know. He's redeemed you, forgiven you of all your past. He's freed you from the chains of sin. He's gifted you with incredible potential to do amazing things for other people in his name and to be a blessing. He's, he's called you to know that your citizenship isn't here on earth, but it's in heaven and that you are a part of his family, the very household of God, that you are a princess, that you, that you are a daughter of the Most High God, that he is your Abba, Father, that he is your daddy, and that you are his. Such an intimate thing that we can be, be his, his children. He wants you to know that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved us, that even in the midst of the battle, you don't have to give in because he will stand by you. You are never, ever in your whole life, be alone because he says, I am with you always. He'll be your courage. He'll be your refuge, your strength. He will fight for you. He's a strong God. He is a God that we can trust in. He's a God that wants us to take his hand and go through this journey. So know that you are his beloved child. Know that you are holy. That he sees you as pure. He sees your sin as totally washed away. It's gone. It's, it's forgiven because of the blood of Christ on the cross. 
He sees you as justified, as seated at the right hand of God. Think about that. I can't even imagine, but he says it's true. We are seated with him next to Jesus in the heavenlies. You have a place of belonging in him, not because of what you've done, not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is. He's chosen you. He's loved you. And so I want to say over all of you a prayer of blessing. That's an Old Testament prayer. It's a beautiful benediction. And as I pray this, I want you to think of that chair turned and the face of your Heavenly Father. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who loves us, the beloved Son of God, amen, amen. God bless you. Walk in that truth.